Geek Top 5, Season 5. I'm so happy you're here. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> this is so exciting. Geek Top 5. I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And we are back in the Geek Top 5 Sanctum Sanctorum, that this time we have a, a secret and deadly mission of the, of the utmost importance. And to help us out with that, we have brought in one of our top agents. Graham, can I toss it to you for this deadly mission briefing? Yes, you certainly can. Graphic designer and uh, professor extraordinaire at uh, the college level, we have a returning guest, James Bond, a, a lover and expert, Kinman Smith. <laughs> and also, last time he was in the show, kind of cranky, kind of cantankerous, but, you know, anyway, glad to be back for the second round. We expect uh, nothing less. And 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 can't wait for, uh, for our uh, breakdown of the worst five James Bond films. Now, the appellation of James Bond lover, I mean, James Bond has taken a lot of lovers over the course of these <laughs> 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 We can dream. <laughs> Just curious is all. <laughs> That's a, a list for another time. Fair enough. No, but in all seriousness, I mean, I know we've discussed it a bit before, but why don't you refresh us on your your particular James Bond expertise, where this comes from, and what you've got to to bring to the the secret table, as it were. Well, you're you're being very kind and 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 very magnanimous, but um, you know, my 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 father was a was a big James Bond fan, especially Sean Connery, because they were, they were both Scots. And, uh, so my dad sort of got me uh, involved in the, in the world of James Bond. And then, um, I, and you know, as we discussed on this podcast before, I, I happened to be born in the same year that Dr. No came out. And, and so, um, so, so Bond has been part of my sort of, uh, family experience and a, a bit of my sort of um cultural lexicon if you will for a long time and um uh you know i mean it, it's one of those things you know i mean it it's there there are the there are the people out there who would say that you know you can't be a, a james bond um uh you know fan person if you will and and yet be a critic but i would i would say that um, you know, this is hardly a perfect series. <laughs> Tw- Twenty-five movies. There's bound to be some stinkers, yeah, and-, and and you know, and and there would there are there. You know, I think it's a general rule that you know you can't you can't make a great film every time. Um, if you look at the Star Wars series, you can't make a great film any time. Um, and right, I remember this now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just trying to poke, just trying to poke the bears out there. Um, <laughs> But, you know, I, but I mean, it's like at any point, if you have as many as 25 movies of something in a series, you're going to start to rank them. It's just natural. And something has to be 25 or in this case, 25 to 20. So just because these rank low, I, I will say it doesn't mean that I, I necessarily hate them, that it means that uh, I probably won't watch them as much. And, and they may my affection for them isn't as strong as some of the other ones. I agree with you. And you know, you're always going to have those moments where, you know, you're sort of, you're bored on, Oh, I don't know, say a Wednesday night at <laughs> 11 PM. 
And um, you know, and, and you want to you want to watch something that that makes you feel happy or nostalgic or um, you know sort of hits those touchstone moments of your past. Um, you know, and 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 we've all got those moments. You know, whether it's uh, Star Wars, Star Trek, Avengers, uh, mm-hmm. anime, Bond, whatever it happens to be, whatever whatever it is that really floats your boat. Um, we've all got those things that make us happy. And, you know, for me, that's always been bond. It's always been a big part of my life, but I think at the end of the day, you know, it, it, it's not a bad thing to be critical, if you will, about the thing that you love. Um, and I think, you know, as, as, you know, as you've, as you both just said, you can't knock it out of the park every single time. And goodness knows this series did not knock it out of the park every single time. So it's it's just really looking forward to the 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 knockdown drag them out of oh my god what were they thinking <laughs> at least five times and the other thing oh. about this this sort of list is I find it feels like to me or at least it felt like growing up that there was a standard solidified opinion of what the worst movies were and what the best are and uh, i nowadays it feels like everyone has a different list like you look at any ranking and you'd be shocked at where certain movies land like i can think of honor majesty's secret service as an example uh, when i was growing up that was like the redheaded stepchild of the franchise. People didn't talk about that one. It was the bad one, but it seems to have redeemed itself over time. People have reevaluated it. And a lot of times it ends up near the top of the list these days. Yeah. And for all you gingers out there, don't take that to heart. Okay. He's not insulting you. No, it's just a turn of phrase. Or your, or your, you know, unfortunate, you know, genetic disposition. Looking forward to your apology video. <laughs> we'll do one together. <laughs> I didn't say anything. <laughs> no, no, but, but, but Graham, you're absolutely right. You know, I mean, for 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 decades, Majesties was was vilified as a as a as a film, um, and yet when you put it up against the the whole canon, Majesties actually stands up. But again, for for you listeners who have suffered through the last ninety minutes of my last podcast with <laughs> gentlemen. Um, you know where I where I land on Majesties, but um, you know Majesties is a, is a really good is a really good Bond film. It may not be a really good film, but it's a really good Bond film. All right. Well, before we start, to, you know, getting into details about the films, I mean, we actually got some films picked out, right? This is so the structure of this is you've each brought a list of five, and we're going to be dueling them down, right? All right. So how do we begin then? How do you want to set this up? Well, I, I say you start us off as our illustrious guest and uh, give us your number five. Um, no, is number five the worst of the five say, or the best of the five? The best of the five. The best of the five. Yeah, my fifth worst Bond film would have to be Quantum of Solace. Okay, mm-hmm. that is not on my list. Wow. <laughs> that one was pretty bad. <laughs> and I, I feel like this is going to come up again, but I personally feel that the Daniel Craig movies, even the worst of the Daniel Craig movies, are are a head above, maybe even a head and shoulders above most of the rest of the franchise. Keeping and that Daniel Craig is maybe the shortest James Bond of all. Okay, well, tell us your your distaste for Quantum. Well, okay, so. Um... You know, part of the problem with Quantum, obviously, is that it, it followed Casino Royale, 
which was a knock it out of the goddamn park. Amazing film. Yeah, easily number one on a best of list for me. Okay, and if I'm, if you know, hopefully I'm not obviously sort of stacking the deck when we do the best of the Bond Five. Um, but, you know, Casino was amazing. Quantum, you know, Quantum got mired in, well, okay, there was the writer's strike at the time. Um, and you had Paul Haggis, you know, okay, fellow Canadian, you know, love him. He only, you know, he grew up two hours down the 401. Um, but, uh, that's a, it's a, it's a mess of a script. Uh, it is. And, and because of the writer's strike, it's hard to blame Paul or any other individual for it. Well, but we're not like blaming individual people, but we're, we're saying it as a movie. Right. Yeah. This one was fair. at best. It was forgettable. Okay. Keep, keep going with your criticism and then I'll do a defense so after. It, it had it, you know, it had it. I mean, I'm one of the people who defends the opening of that film. Um, now a lot of people dislike the, 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 the choppy editing of the car chase. They think it's too sort of Jason Bourne-ish. Um, I really, really enjoy the opening, I don't know, 10, 12 minutes of that film. Um, you know, it's a, it's a really great chase scene along the shores of, I guess it's like Como. Um, yeah, there's a couple of things sort of structurally, you know, and I mean, sort of structure of a truck that don't make sense. Um, but it's a really great opening. And then it ends with driving into Siena. And again, you know, sort of personal bent. I've, I've been to Siena and, um, you know, so I've got a touchstone there. Um, but then after that, the entire film falls apart. I, it's one of those things, right? I mean, you know, we, 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 we rail against... Um, uh, the the companies that are stripping natural resources and you know the whole you got to drink three 13 liters of water a day thank you nestle um so the, the whole premise of the film is hung on on water deprivation you know but but the, the the i think the problem with that film is that um and there was a there was an interview with mark forster the director who said that he had this whole idea around hanging it on the four elements you know, air, fire, water, earth. And um, and so every action scene, every big sort of set piece is set around hitting the four elements instead of actually telling a goddamn story. <laughs> um, and and it just, it, this, it's a weird idea for a modern setting to fixate on. Yeah, it, it really it really is. And, and you've got this sort of art house director who's trying to direct an action film and yet trying to ground it in the emotional context of Casino Royale. And you've got, uh, and Olga Kurienko is terrific in the film. And yet, and, and I apologize in advance to all the listeners out there, but you know, I mean, she's also one of those unique Bond quote unquote girls um, that Bond doesn't actually sleep with. Um, and they have this weird sort of uh, relationship um, there, and, and then there's that, that, that horrible sort of, again, the sort of Goldfinger esque moment where, uh, strawberry fields ends up drowning in oil instead of covered in gold. It's, it's just, it's, it's very self-referential. Um, and it just doesn't, it doesn't hit enough notes. Um, you know, there's that big, you know, the, the great sort of um, fire explosion thing at the end. 
But then quite frankly, the, the, the ending of Dominic Green is pretty much lifted from the Iger sanction, uh, you know, novel and, and kind of atrocious film by Clint Eastwood. Um, uh, like it's, it's, it's just, it's just not original enough. And it, it's a pretty brutal ending though for a, for a Bond villain. It is, like it is, it is, but it's completely lifted from another source. There's right. no originality to it. Um, other than he's got to drink oil. Um, you know, in Iger sanction, he's got to eat his dog. Um, but like, they're still both, you know, they're both abandoned in the desert. You know, it's, it's, um, there's, there's, there's really great set pieces. The, the boat chase in quote unquote Haiti is, is a big moment. And, uh, again, the opening is terrific. Um, uh, but it's, it's just such a clunky film. And it's such a terrible ending for for uh, Giancarlo Giannini's character. You know, when Mathis dies right. and gets thrown in a dumpster, for God's sakes, really? That's it's so it's Mathis. Really just for our audience, he's he's like an, a, a character from Casino Royale who was a great ally to Bond in that. It's a complicated ally, but an ally, and he returns in this, and then is sort of summarily dispatched, and then Bond just disposes of his body in a, in a, a dumpster. And it's, it's not the kindest ending for, for that character. No, it's, it's really unbondian, if you will. And, and, and I, and I think that this is where I, I sort of draw the line that I think there's a, I think there's a narrative that goes through the films from one to hopefully 25 um, that sort of speaks to action and ethics and morals and quantum really seems to sort of drift way offside, like a like a streetcar that jumps the tracks. You know, it, it's 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 on the right direction, and then all of a sudden, it oh, it's about water. Oh, <laughs> yeah, um, and, and also, I mean, it's about water in Bolivia. Like, yeah. it's not even on a global scale. It's that they're going to control the freshwater in Bolivia. Like, that has to be the smallest stakes of any Bond villain in all 25 movies. Yeah, although we have yet to see, we have yet to see No Time to Die. But, but yeah, and it's just, I mean, and nothing against Bolivia and, and you know, South America in general, obviously. But, you know, and, and, and again, the, the, the interesting thing about it is that it's, it's kind of timely, um, you know, but it's also kind of boring. All right. So my, my defense, if I may. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> Anytime I've seen this movie in isolation, I tend to agree with you. It's, I find the plot hard to follow. I, I can never remember who Mr. White is or what his, his involvement in all this is. Uh, I, I, it's just not as clear as it could be especially for a movie that is very much a direct sequel to Casino Royale. It's the only, I would say, direct sequel in the Bond canon. And But if you watch them in quick succession, like you watch Casino Royale one night and watch Casino and Quantum of Solace the next night, they flow together a lot better. A lot of the holes are fixed. It patches over some things and you get Bond's motivation a bit more. And you remember the importance of that knot that Vesper has. And, and that plays into the end of the movie and, and his just resolution of his feelings for, for Vesper. And I think that's important. Uh, 
I I don't mind him being brutal to Mathis. I think that speaks to the type of bond we're dealing with in the Daniel Craig one, especially this early in the series where he's supposed to be a fairly fresh agent, a fairly fresh double O agent. And at that point, he's he's kind of on his own and kind of on the run. And it's it's expedient and it's it's something he needs to do to survive in that instance. It's not like the Roger Moore or Sean Connery, who's been doing this for ages and knows how to charm his way through police situations. In this case, he's like, this is life or death and it's his friend, but his friend is gone. And now this is just a carcass and it's a problem. And I know that's not kind, but in a life or death situation, sometimes those are the things you have to to do. I also really like Olga Kurylenko's character. I think she's a fine addition to the Bond girl canon, quote unquote. As she's one of the strongest female characters he's he's had in the history of the franchise, and and holds her own very much in so many of the scenes. So I I really like it. I will say that Dominic Green his motivations are good, and I think he's a he would be a great classic bond villain where he's just like the brains behind the operation and and the final fight scene with them if it had just been some sort of battle of wits i would have been okay with it but to think that he would pose any sort of physical threat to bond is laughable he's i mean he actually he actually hits himself in the in his own foot with an axe right right it's it's like you know goldfinger is a great villain but he's not a physical threat to bond the same thing with largo and drax and all these other classic bond villains there's always a henchman that does the dirty work and then bond quickly dispatches of the top guy when when they actually encounter each other so I think that is would have been a benefit, although the way Bond does ultimately kill him, I think is cool and brutal, If it, even if it is stolen from another source. So that's why it would never be in my bottom five. I don't know that it would necessarily hit the top five, but I think it's better than, than a lot of other Bond I'm stuff sorry, that's come we're before. Are sure if Quantum makes the top five? <laughs> Look, I got to put some mystery in this. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> we should probably move on. We probably yeah. should. You're right. My number five is the fourth film in the franchise, Thunderball from 1965, directed by Terrence Young. Is wow. that on your list? Wow. Uh, no, Thunderball is not on my list. I, I will say the other four movies on the list were a lot easier for me to choose. Uh, Thunderball was it, it's it's. I I was sort of. Once I had those top four, I was like, oh, I need to pick a fifth. And I struggled for a bit. And then I landed on this one because of a few really specific instances. The the main one being that um, the the underwater fight sequences, like the, the sound scoreless underwater combat between these two faceless armies is so boring. I'm sure it was like magnificent to see in 1965 and a real feat of filmmaking tech uh, uh, technology at the time. Now it's just drags on and on. And it's so hard to sit through. Uh, it's the, the plot of this one is that uh, uh, this ships are being stolen and bond has to fight this, this bad guy. Anyway, it's a Sean Connery one. There's there's yeah. sharks involved. No, no, no. Just to be clear, a nuclear warhead has been stolen. right. Right. <laughs> one of those a little nuclear things. Nuclear warhead has been stolen. Look, as the Bond movies go, one nuclear warhead becomes a trivialing, tri- trivial matter as as these goes on go on. But it's just a, a, not a great movie. The plot is slow, and the villain is again one of those guys who isn't much of a threat. But the the real 
the things that drag the movie down the most to me are right at the beginning. Uh, the the cold open involves Bond at the funeral for another agent, and then it turns out that the agent isn't dead, but he's disguised as his widow, and then the two of them have a fight, and it's Bond fighting this man dressed in a woman's funeral clothes, and then after he defeats him, he jetpacks away for no reason to get to his car. It's just like one of the, the first times in the franchise where the Bond filmmakers got access to a piece of technology and were like, we have to fit this into the movie any way we can. And they came up with the dumbest reason ever. Like Bond has to escape a building. So he jetpacks out of it, out of this jetpack he had hidden with him. It's so ridiculous. And then after that, Bond is at a spa and he he sort of forces this spa technician to have sex with him. And I don't know how that looked in 1965, but from modern eyes, it is so hard to watch and sit through. And the Connery Bond does a lot of questionable stuff in that regard, but I feel like this one took it to a whole other level. Uh, in other sequences, he, he like the forces himself on a woman and then it's sort of eventually she seems like she accepts the matter or, or gets into it at, because his kisses are so good but in this case the woman does not seem into it at all through the whole sequence and it's so uncomfortable and it really takes me out of the movie i, I really find it uncomfortable so that's why that this one ended up at number five for me okay fair enough i mean uh, you know i think in in rebuttal um yeah i mean thunderball thunderball is an interesting bond film because they had really kind of i think hit their stride when they made thunderball and you're and you know what i'm i'm not going to um i'm not going to uh argue about the underwater sequences i mean when you when you look at it sort of um conditionally as uh, you know filmed in 60 Four sixty-five, um, yeah, it would it would have been extraordinary then, and we find that boring now. And you know, very quick aside, I've had occasion to walk into a classroom and get into a conversation, and you know, like like drop Steve McQueen, and students say who, and right. I have to stop class because I have to show them the, the chase scene from Bullet and go, that's Steve McQueen, you moron. Um, <laughs> So, so there is that sort of tangential, um, you know, that sort of timeline issue with these things. And you're absolutely right. I mean, the Connery Bond is is really sexist and misogynist, and 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 sort of and and terrible in a way that would not be acceptable now. Uh, but you know, but having said that, though, I mean, Thunderball's got again great set pieces, um, Academy Award winner for special effects. Um, which is not, you know, it doesn't excuse everything, but it's something anyway. Fiona Volpe is a great villain. I'll give him, give you that. Oh God. She's extraordinary. Um, really good. You know, and Martine Beswick coming back from, uh, from Russia. Cause she was one of the gypsy fighting girls in Russia. Right. Um, she's great. Right. Um, and you know, and, and, and the extraordinary design work of Ken Adam, um, uh, is 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 amazing and i mean i really think that I, anyway you know by rebuttal i would say the thunderball is a really it's not the best bond film is a top 10 eh, 
That'd be a tough. That'd be a tough one, but I can't put it in my bottom five. That's fair. That's fair. It's all subjective, but I I think yeah i feel like if our audience i feel like a modern audience watching it would would struggle to stay engaged through the whole thing all right so should we uh yeah under number fours uh, number fours. uh I'm, I'm gonna throw it up to graham you go with your number four first all right well my number four is moonraker oh my god <laughs> <laughs> what's here do you, is moonraker on your list uh it is not in point of fact so so please dive in. <laughs> so it's it's from 1979 directed by Lewis Gilbert. Yes. It's uh again, it has good stuff in it, but um it, it some of the flaws are the fact that it it follows after uh The Spy Who Loved Me, which is I think widely considered the best if not one of the best Roger Moore movies. It is, and it, it, is it is Roger's crowning achievement. And it's it's uh, the villain's plot is almost identical, except instead of trying to start a new society underwater, this guy's trying to start a new society in space. So it's kind of off to a bad start where it's like the same thing again. But they also, one of Roger Moore's strengths is his comedy. And I think that's great. And he's, he's a funny guy and he's a charming guy, but they amp it up too much in this one. It, I think they thought, they wanted to appeal to children for some reason, and these movies are not should should not be meant for children. I know we've all seen them at a young age, but speak for yourself. <laughs> uh, the 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 beginning is really cool with this this parachute fight. They're falling in the the air, and Bond has to get a parachute from one of the other people falling. And Jaws is back from the last movie, except Jaws almost instantly becomes a joke in this one. And the in Spy Loves Me, he's a towering scary threat through the whole movie he he survives that one to come back to this and he's falling in the air without a parachute and when he realizes he's he's out of luck he starts flapping his arms like they're wings and then he lands in a circus tent and somehow survives like as if the circus tent is gonna break his fall it's just hard to take it seriously uh it's the the Bond girl in this one, the love interest for Bond, the main one is Dr. Holly Goodhead, you know, following in the double entendre names. But it's the first time I had seen a oh, Bond. What do you mean? <laughs> I'll tell you after, Kidman. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, it's it was the the first movie in the franchise that I'd seen where I did not buy that she was interested in him at all. Like this is the first one where Roger's starting to look his age a little bit. And though it's this young, beautiful, super intelligent woman, he's surprised to find out that Dr. Goodhead is a woman for one thing, which is, uh, you know, again, something that doesn't age well. And, and he's just like, why is she interested in this doddering old man? Like I could not get past that watching it. Uh, and then the real, there's two two other really horrible things in this. There's a high speed gondola chase that turns into a hoverboat chase in uh, in Venice, and then and and features a, a pigeon double taking pigeon double take the classic <laughs> moment where the yeah. gondola <laughs> the ho- gondola turns into a hovercraft and a pigeon sees it and then they rewind the film to make it look like the pigeon's going Bruh? so silly. There's a laser fight in space. Jaws is constantly defeated in the movie. And then at the end, he falls in love with a woman on this space station and is sacrifices himself to save Bond. It's just like, 
Ugh, and just like a horrible ending where where the Q and M are watching on the screen while Bond and Holly are in zero G. Oh, here we go. <laughs> and Q says he's attempting re-entry. It's re-entry, yes. Just ugh. I mean, I'm I'm all in for for a great double entendre. That's barely a single entendre. Yeah. Oh, and man, like the laser fight was clearly patterned after the success of Star Wars. Like somebody's like somebody was trying to replicate that. Somebody said, "Oh, this Star Wars thing is going to be big. We need to jump on that." And it's so long and so unnecessary. It's actually, quite frankly, it's it's Thunderball in space. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, at least there's a soundtrack to it, so so it doesn't feel quite so labored and slow. But it, the one of the the common things you talk about is like in the Connery days, the Bond movies set the standard. Like people were copying them; they inspired all the other things. By the time we get to Roger Moore, first with um, Live and Die. Die. Thank you, thank you. Uh, <laughs> The, that one we is, have experts on this Bond panel. <laughs> There's 25 <laughs> titles to remember. Uh, so <laughs> that one has it's patterned after the black exploitation films that were taking off at the time, and so they're following the lead of other people. By the time you get to this one, they're following the lead of Star Wars. They they'd stopped being innovative and were just trying to find a way to fit Bond into other genres, and that's not a good look. And trying to copy Star Wars with a 50 year old roger moore is 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 not the brightest move yeah you're absolutely right and 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 i agree with you i mean the thing about moonraker is it it has a for me it has a sort of a sumptuous quality that helps it sort of get over the the finish line uh it's beautifully shot um, it's, it's got some terrible, you're absolutely right. I mean, the, 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 the whole premise of Holly Goodhead, the name, um, and the way she's treated in the film is, is terrible. Um, and, uh, the product placement in Moonraker is frustrating as hell. I mean, from seven up, um, uh, to Marlboro, it's, 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 it's awful. Um, you know, uh, so, and clearly, you know, bond producers raking in uh, budget money from, you know, selling space. Um, right. And it's and it's just you're, you're right. I mean, there's so much wrong with Moonraker. But the thing about Moonraker, for me anyway, is that it it has the grandeur of a that a bond film should have. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, you both made the point, you know, especially, you know, Jesse. And 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 Graham, yes, live and let die is black exploitation. Golden Gun is you know is kung fu movies. Uh, right. Uh, Moonraker is Star Wars. Um, you know, and and you know we had a bad we had a bad run in the in the Moore era, um, where really the only for me anyway the only two really good Moore films are. Uh, uh, Spy Who Loved Me and Fear Eyes Only, um, and more about that later. But <laughs> but 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 ultimately, you know, I mean, but I think that there's a there's a there's a real sort of grandeur, sumptuous feeling about Moonraker that I'm willing to forgive the the unfortunate nonsense that you have so eloquently described. Um, 
And and you're right. I mean, the the hovercraft is stupid, although you know it it ended up being practical. Um, the pigeon double take, frustrating as hell. You know, did they treat uh, Venice better in Casino? God knows, yes. Uh, <laughs> Even though they'd like destroyed a building, but yeah. <laughs> well, but Christ knows they treated it better in in Russia with love, uh, where they you know they actually did it all in 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 uh, uh, you know rear rear view projection. Right. Um, but but there's 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 an elegance to Moonraker that I I really kind of enjoy, and Roger Roger is kind of in his in his element, you know, there's, there's a, there's a really sort of, um, enjoyable bit where, you know, because, because Live and Let Die, Roger was kind of a little bit flailing. Golden Gun was a real sort of directorial slash acting misstep on Roger's part. Um, he, he really comes into his own in Spy and, 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 Moonraker kind of follows that that uh, that sort of glib, um, uh, sort of vibe, and and I I I like Roger and Moonraker. So to your point, if I may, very quickly, the thing about Moonraker as well is that there's that sort of sort of meta self-referential moments that he has with with Money Penny, where he says, "Well, I fell off a mountain." Um, you know, those little moments of, of, um, it's almost sort of Deadpool-ish, you know, mm. when you, you wouldn't believe what happened. Um, and, and that is a real downfall for Moonraker. Um, and, and you're right. As far as the, like, uh, filmmaking goes, I remember Rio looking gorgeous in that movie. Yeah. Spectacular. But then there's also that sort of, you know, there are still those terrible moments of, you know, um, how do you kill three hours in Rio if you don't samba while well, he pulls, <laughs> pulls the belt off the, off the actress. And there are some really egregious things in Moonraker, but I still can't, I personally can't put it at the bottom of the, of the canon. All right. Well, what is your number four? See if we can uh, debate that one too. I'm going to have to go with you to a kill. All right. Well, that is higher on my list. Actually, we might as well talk about it now because it's my number three. So it would be in the next round uh, anyway. So so let's talk view. You tell tell me your thoughts. Um, well, quite apart from the fact that it opens with a song by Duran Duran, which is the third worst uh, <laughs> Bond theme. Um, and don't worry, folks, the 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 other two will make the list. <laughs> but I will say that it's the best Bond theme by a band named after a character in Barbarella. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. And, okay, and yeah. um, you know, until, you know, Bond 28, when, you know, uh, the Jane Fondas do that theme song. Oh, can't um, wait. But, but View is such a terrible, terrible film. And, and to your point, like Roger... Roger's really showing his age. He was 58, 57 by the time he made that, I think. Um, yeah, that's in that ballpark. And and it's such a, it's so depressing to watch, you know, Academy Award winner Christopher Walken doing a terrible Bond villain. But again, you know, going back to Matthew Almerick and the water thing, um, you know, quite frankly, fighting over microprocessor chips. Um, 
you know, actually, you know, was way ahead of the curve. Except, um, and Roger, this isn't something that's just come out recently. I think it, Roger Ebert, in his review of the movie, says that uh, Christopher Walken's plan, Zorin's plan in the movie, is to trigger an earthquake in Silicon Valley so that he can then get his, like, become the sole producer of microchips. But Silicon Valley doesn't make microchips. No. They just use them. You're, you're killing the people who would buy the microchips from you, and there's still going to be plenty of other microchip producers. The, the plan doesn't make any sense from the get-go. No, there should have been an earthquake in China. Yeah. <laughs> that's, what it, like, that's what should have happened. Um, but, you know, I mean, and the stunt, the, the stunt casting of what's-her-face? Grace Jones. Grace Jones. And that horrible bedroom scene. Yeah. Um, there's actually, and and then the rear projection of the, the fire truck chase. Oh my God, the fire truck chase. It's like something out of the Keystone Cops or like yeah. Buster Keaton or something. It's fine in the right context, but in a Bond movie, you don't want Bond flailing and kicking his legs at the end of a ladder as as the mom from that 70s show drives down the street. It's just so hard to watch. Yeah. And, then, and then quite frankly, and this is a very personal comment, um, to see Patrick McNee, yeah, uh, you know, sort of debilitated to this sort of um, useless supporting uh, sort of uh, I don't know poncho son, uh, poncho role um, to to Don Quixote, you know, he was a goddamn of you know he was he was, <laughs> ah. He, he was, was one of the Steve. original Avengers. He was John Steed. <laughs> it it almost feels like he was cast just to make Roger seem younger. Yeah, and it was just, you know, and then he's got a, for God's sakes, he's waxing a rolls in one scene, and then he's dead 15 minutes later. <laughs> um, it's just like everything about that film from the get-go, from the, oh my God, from the use of the Beach Boys and the, and the cold yes. open. Um, uh, and then, okay, despite the fact that it was the first sort of view we'd we'd all have of quote unquote snowboarding, um, it was just it was everything about that film is just so awful from beginning to end. My God, they bring in the Nazis. <laughs> well, yeah, and it doesn't even make sense. They like they're the the implication is that Christopher Walken's character is some sort of genetically enhanced monster created by the Nazis. It never factors into the plot. It doesn't factor into his plan. It's just sort of there. And they don't go into like, what did they engineer? Yeah. And like why it matters for this plot. Like you could erase that whole subplot from the movie and it doesn't change anything. Absolutely. I mean, they actually spend more time on <clears throat> the engineering of the horses than the engineering <laughs> of the Walken. Right, um, right. The stupid horses. It's a terrible. It's a terrible film from beginning to end. And, and we we haven't even talked about one of the dumber things in it, where the the an assassination attempt on Bond happens, where he's watching this paper butterfly show near the Eiffel Tower. In in the Eiffel Tower. In the Eiffel Tower. In sorry. The restaurant of the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> it's so ludicrous to watch this this thing happen, where she tries to kill him with fake butterflies on a on a fishing rod. I don't ah ah. Yeah, it's a terrible film. In the end, it's but it's still not the worst. <laughs> but it's 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 awful. I was gonna say it sounds like you guys pretty much agree on this one, and yet it's middle of the road. <laughs> 
But the crazy thing is, and this is what I was getting at before, I've listened to other podcasts, I've seen other lists, and this movie sometimes ends up on uh, the in the top five for other people. So it, it really is a very polarizing movie. Well, yes, it is. And, you know, and, and for, you know, for those people who never got above grade three, we can, <laughs> you know. Um, wow. Okay. They're allowed to watch kidding. movies too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, but, but it, there's really nothing. There's a couple of really good, there's some good stunt work. Um, you know, Remy Julien and the, and the chopped off car kind of fun and and the jump off the eiffel tower hadn't been done before yeah good work um but again you know great stunt work does not uh, 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 a great narrative make and at by this point it was and, and it had started happening in previous movies and i'm sure we'll get to them as well but by this time, it was really obvious when it was actually Roger Moore doing something and when it was a stunt double. And that also takes away from it because you want to think Bond is doing these things. But when when you cut from Roger Moore running down a hall, understandably, like a very fit 58 year old versus a 30 year old stunt double, it's noticeable. It's like hard to miss. And yeah. it's it takes you out of the movie. Yeah, and and, and, and Tanya Roberts. Let's just we cannot get through this without talking about Tanya Roberts. And I I, I don't want to totally fault her. I, it's a, not a great written part, but she is so annoying. Oh, she's terrible. She's yeah. absolutely awful. And she 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 falls into that sort of that sort of um that sort of murky you know dirty water bucket of the O oh, James actresses. Right. Um, but yeah, she's awful. She's awful. And and there really is nothing good about that movie. Uh, Moore has been quoted as saying that he knew it was time to, you know, hang up the license to kill when not only was he older than the Bond girl, he was older than the Bond girl's mother. Yes. Yeah. And the only scene, the only romantic scene that kind of, works is that that hot tub moment with fiona fullerton um but even then they were probably 15 years apart right um and we, okay fine you know that kind of falls in an acceptable limit but it just there's really nothing there's really nothing good about view so <laughs> I no, that was my number three. It was a view to a kill. So we're back on you. You got to agonize over the last three movies on your list. Which one's going to be your uh, third worst Bond movie? I'm going to have to go with Die Another Day. Okay, we're going to do this again. That's my number two. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you guys aren't as uh, as separate on this as you like to think. <laughs> well, I have a feeling. I well, yeah, we'll see what the 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 last few movies on the list are. But uh, Die Another Day, two thousand two, directed by Lee Tomahori. Um, yeah, it's it's was the twentieth Bond movie, and uh, in in that spirit, they tried to jam in as many nods to the previous films as possible, and it gets sort of exhausting. Um, it's it's a rough movie. I I can't even explain the plot. It involves North Korea, face swapping, diamonds, an ice hotel, and James Bond. It has an invisible car and an invisible car that serves very little purpose, from what I recall. 
There is not and and the most egregious use of CGI in a Bond film. The uh, the tsunami. The, the tsunami. Yeah, it's this. This is the difficult thing. It, it, early two thousands, you start to use more and more CGI, but. By now, you look back on it and it doesn't hold up. Maybe at the time it was acceptable, no. but even at the time it wasn't acceptable. <laughs> it starts off with a theme song by Madonna. Madonna, yeah. Okay. All right. So, just to be clear, the second worst singer in the history <laughs> of the canon. I, I, I think there are my times, worst, like, my, folks, for you, for for you folks out there, my worst singer is coming up. Um, I think Madonna Madonna is horrible, both in person as an actress (laughs) and in the theme song. And I I do feel another podcast coming on, (laughs) but uh, I do think that there, like Madonna, goes through these evolutions and changes. And I'm sure there are versions of Madonna that would have made a good Bond theme. Only she would evolve to death. (laughs) Oh my god. She has lawyers, Kinman. Uh, I'm not afraid of them. Because they all used to be her dancers in her videos. All right. Uh, it's, yeah, there's there's a lot to dislike about this movie. And one of the things to dislike about it is that I do think it has potential. And it's the sort of potential that they end up using in the Craig movies that follow this. But it starts with Bond getting captured. And he spends over a year being tortured by the North yeah. Koreans. First and when 20 he- minutes, amazing. Yeah. When he comes out, the MI6 doesn't know if they can trust him. They sort of force him into retirement. Um, But then by like the 45 minute mark, all is forgiven and he's totally reinstated. And for the audience, I don't think there's ever any doubt that he's he's nothing but your typical James Bond. I think they they had such a big Mr. Opportunity here where you have you could have had the audience being like, wow, is he broken? Is this going to be the movie where maybe he's being turned by the Koreans and he's going to have to like redeem himself at the end. But no, I mean, there's no way they would ever have done that. <laughs> you know that, right? Like that's yeah. not. Yeah. But at least, at least and in, yet, in... And yet, and yet that's a moment from Fleming because um, I believe it's, Oh God. I believe it's beginning of golden gun. I, 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 I would have to go back, but I think it's beginning of golden gun where He's been captured at the end of You Only Live Twice, and he tries to assassinate M. Oh, man, that's cool. Beginning of the one, one of the novels. And, and what, a, what an amazing opportunity. Um, so to your point, Jesse, you know, I mean, wouldn't it be great if there was that sort of moment of, oh, my God, where do his lawyers lie? Is he the Manchurian candidate? Like, has there been that great sort of, brainwashing moment um you know and yet we watch him stride into a uh you know a, a chinese hotel in his pajamas and i believe orders a martini yeah right and later a mojito he really he really hits the accent when he orders that it just like night of the day is horrible uh and, and this was halle berry right halle yeah. berry and rosamund pike Yes, right, Rosamund right, right. Pike at the beginning of her career, Halle Berry probably at the peak of her career, where they they were trying to spin her off in her own franchise. They had uh, Michael Madsen come in as her version of M, and that's all the ingredients are there for a spinoff. But it's it's the classic thing where don't 
plan for a spinoff. Just make the movie, and if it's popular and if it works, then do the spinoff. But <laughs> and it does not work at all. No, no, it's a terrible film. It's a terrible film from beginning to end, and and um, you know, and and I feel I feel really bad for for uh, Brosnan because his tenure started out so well because GoldenEye was such a good film. Um, and you know, tomorrow never dies has its detractors and well-earned detractors, but, but, you know, and world is not a terrible film, but God, Dino the day is so awful from beginning to end. There is nothing to recommend it. It's like GoldenEye is, is a really good top tier film. The next two are middling and then it just falls off a cliff with the, the last one. It's not fair. He's he was a good Bond, but he's just stuck in these tepid movies for the most yeah. part. Yeah, and 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 unfortunately, it's a. Um, I land this squarely at the feet of the producers. You know, I mean, why couldn't you write better material for a guy who really, you know, okay, so he 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 was a bit stumbly in Goldeneye, but he did a really good job. He was bang on in Tomorrow. Why couldn't you give him something to work with? Um, yeah, and I think the the I think the eye was firmly on the money, which is a whole other you know sort of broccoli uh, commentary. But um, they really missed the mark on the last two Brosnan films because they were just junk. I think the the other thing uh, as far as miscasting goes is having john cleese as the new q i love john cleese i think he's great in in so many other things but at this point in his life he's he's taking roles to help pay alimony and whatnot and and he's he's not q you, you he it's stunt casting and i wish they had gone to someone else yeah yeah, and and except that else, you guys didn't touch on. But like while we're talking about things that didn't age well, like the villain in this, the the North Korean, his super villainous master plan is that he turns himself white. Yeah, yeah, right. Like that's like oh wow, he's finally developed the technology to turn himself white. Like what are we gonna do? And like, <laughs> that's that's tricky. Yeah, I don't and even. This wasn't that long ago. No, right? like this isn't something that happened back in the '60s. Die another day is 2002. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things about this film that are that are just uh, so off the mark. Yeah, from the 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 plot to the special effects to the the theme song, they all aged very quickly. Well, let's be clear: the theme song was dead before <laughs> it came out. That's fair. Um, all right. Well. Can I hear what your your number two is? Then I got to go with Spectre. And again, I I may be the the world's only Spectre defender, but no, I no, like no, that no, movie. No, 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 no. <laughs> there is no defense for this film. I like it better than Quantum, and I like Quantum. Okay, have at it. No, no, you you do your thing, and I'll defend it afterwards from your okay. cruel barbs. All right, so so here was a chance <laughs> to um, to to bring uh, you know the bring the bring the Hannibal back to Clarice, 
<laughs> what an analogy. The actual, like the primary Bond villain, um, back to Bond. And, uh, and, and I can't imagine a more ham-fisted way to bring him back. Um, oh, God, no. the reveal scene where he's, he knows Bond is there, and so he starts making the bird noises. Cuckoo. Cuckoo. And the movie's playing it up like, holy shit, this is super scary. And it's just this old man sitting at a table going, cuckoo, cuckoo. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I'm sitting so, there in the audience like, does somebody need to take him back to bed? <laughs> <laughs> and strap him down again? Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, quite a part. I mean, so so Christoph Waltz did his very best with that role because it was so badly written. Um, uh, but I just thought, you know, I, I look back on Spectre and just think, Oh my God. I mean, this was a moment to, to, to bring the two, you know, like two of the greatest sort of, okay. Within the spy, you know, canon, um, great literary. Yeah. Sherlock and Moriarty, right? It's yeah, Bond it's exactly. That's exactly it. And then, and this is how you do it. Um, no kudos to Sam Mendes. <laughs> you were terrible. But kudos to your cinematographer. Um, it's a know, beautifully shot movie. It is beautifully shot. It looks gorgeous. Um, but but everything, everything in that film is awful. The, the trying so ham fisted to make it like actually all of the last movies were part of a series. They all they were all building up to this. Yeah, and it's demonstrably clear. No, they weren't. Yeah, you're making exactly. that up. Like you made that up for this movie. Why are you telling us this? Yeah, there is so much retconning uh, through that film, um, and and God knows we're going to see that again in No Time to Die because that's that's unfortunately the the Craig era for what it's worth. Um, you know, we've always got to tie back to the earlier films. Yeah, even if it means stuffing a you know round peg into a square hole. But the the, the thing about that film is that. You have you have a captive audience, and you have all the money in the world, and this is what you give us. Isn't that the title of a Bond movie? It probably should be. You know? <laughs> and 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 uh, like the <laughs> so so what kind of encapsulates Spectre for me is two things. All right, so we have <clears throat> I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna play back a little bit. We have the Guinness Book of World Records biggest explosion ever on screen, which is so goddamn boring <laughs> that none of us could care less. Right. That's it from the end of the movie, right? Right. From 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 the near end. They where they blow up right, right, right. Because they, 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 they drag they, it out a bit. They they blow up the 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 uh, the uh, uh, the base. Yeah, yeah, in the desert. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Great. Well done. So you used a lot of explosive. Good on you. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, and then th- th- there's some really nice little moments in that film. Um, uh, you know, like right after that, mo- right after the explosion, they go back to London and they're, they're, they're going into that building and Hillebrand rarities as a, as sort of a, a antique bookshop is written on the window, which is 
course, takes us back to Fleming, which is great. That that is one of the few Bond uh, titles that Fleming wrote that has never the the, the title of it even hasn't been used, just because it's kind of a mouthful. I don't yeah, think anyone would thought like Quantum yeah. of Solace would be a title, it and is. yet here we are. Yeah, but I but I also like the fact that they sort of threw it in. That's really sweet. That's nice. Yeah. But you know, I mean, but again, I think my problem, part of my problem with Spectre, um, quite frankly. I feel so bad saying this, but it really <laughs> kind of starts with the theme song. Um, Sam Smith doing his version of a cat caught in a vacuum cleaner. Um, that song is horrible. It's yeah. awful from beginning to end. And then it was made worse when he won an Academy Award for it and got up on stage and said, I'm the first openly gay Academy Award winner. Guess what? Actually, you're not. And if you'd paid attention, you narcissistic jerk, um, <laughs> you'd know that it was Lance Black. And and just like everything about that film is 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 horrible. You know, it's just such a wasted opportunity. You've got a, a really good couple of actors. You've got a terrific actress. Um, Fine. So you throw in Dave Bautista. You know he's great when he's not opening his mouth. Um, but but you've got you've got all the elements there, and this is what you give us. It's like somebody went to a butcher and a and a and a produce supplier and got the best of the best, and then and then you gave it to an English chef, and they made it everything gray. Um, <laughs> Everything about that film is 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 just so meh, and that's my frustration with with Spectre. All right, now Graham loves this movie, so I got to hear this. <laughs> well, I don't. I wouldn't say I love it, but I do really and, like it. And possibly, <laughs> and possibly defend this film. Uh, I I can't argue with a lot of your complaints about it. I think okay, that, okay, okay. I'm getting more wine. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the Blofeld stuff is poorly handled, and tying their origins together so tightly is really poorly oh, done. Yeah, we didn't even talk about that. Now Blofeld is Bond's <laughs> evil twin brother. <laughs> It's not quite that bad, but it's up there. It, apparently, the plot for this was written by the same people who do like the dailies. Yeah, I'm sorry. Lofeld is poorly handled. That's your take. <laughs> but I do think Dave Batista is cool. I think trying to force uh, deformity on him so that he's an iconic Bond villain, giving him these steel thumbs is is not great. He's a gigantic man. He doesn't need to be made any more scary. And the train fight with him is really good. And, and uh, I like that. He's ripped off from Russia. Sure, but that's not the first time Bond has ripped off the train fight from Russia. It's a, it's a tradition now. Okay. Uh so I, so I like that. And and the thing that I really like is that all of Bond's team comes into play here. And, and I don't want that to be a standard going forward where you have to find some way to get M and Q and Money Penny in on the action every time. But this time it really worked for me. But Andrew Scott as C, the leader of MI5, who's working 
He's great. And his interactions with Ray Fiennes as M are great. I love that stuff. The ski chase in uh, Switzerland, I guess it is, is so good. Um, where, where like Bond is being chased by a plane and he's skiing. Oh, and he's, just... he's in the plane and it's Austria. Um, Whatever. It's a cool chase scene. I love it's, it. It's a great, it, it is a great chase scene. And when he blasts the plane through the building yeah. and knocks over the cars, yeah, it's it's a great set piece. But it doesn't make up for a really miserable narrative and a terrible uh like a terrible construction, if you will, of 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 how all of these again, it's retconning, right? It's yeah. you're, you're you're getting you're getting, oh my god, we gotta pull this guy in and pull this person in and this woman in and this in and it's like no you know what it's okay to let a couple of moments stand on their own and then oh my god (laughs) the end of specter where everybody's picture is posted on the on the decaying tiles that was insane oh it's awful it's 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 just it's everything. You're right, Jesse. It's everything about that is. <laughs> I couldn't like I couldn't figure out like were they tr- like they were trying at the, at the same time to portray Blofeld as this like super criminal mastermind, but also like as a creepy shut in serial killer. <laughs> That's his job. Blofeld yeah, but they is- they wanted to have that and have him you know like burning out the eyes of people in photographs with cigarettes while wearing his mother's dress. You know, like they. <laughs> Like they're going for both personalities, and you can't have both. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Anthony, Anthony Perkins, where are you? <laughs> so I, all I'm, all I will say in defense of my defense is I'm just trying to suggest <laughs> that no it's. <laughs> I'm just trying to say that it's not. There's, there's no world where it's one of the five worst Bond movies. There's oh too yes, much there is. It. <laughs> the one that the rest of us live in. <laughs> well fine i'm going home <laughs> we don't need you jesse and i are fine without you all right well i'm gonna move on to my number one so that you can finish okay, this off you with your number okay like, i'm gonna i'm gonna lay money right now and and all you people out there in cyberspace <laughs> we we had a bet already but i'm gonna put money down right now that you and i have the same worst one uh, I don't think so. Okay, I will take that bet. <laughs> My number one is Octopussy. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, you know what? No bet. Huh? <laughs> Octopussy at six, but please give us your evaluation. I I hate Octopussy. It's like there's not many Bond movies. Like like even the later like the next one by by Roger Moore is often considered worse. A View to a Kill. But man, there's so many parts in Octopussy that drive me crazy that I can't it's get past clown, it. It's, it's it's Bond in clown face. That's what that's it is. one of them. Bond dresses like a clown to infiltrate a circus. It's he looks ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. It's done just for a joke, basically, and it's not even a funny joke. I read something where it was like, if you were trying to destroy the franchise, this would be you. You put Bond in a clown outfit, so he you undermine any sense of seriousness that he has. There's another scene where he's dressed as a gorilla. There's a scene where there's a tuk tuk chase through India, yes. and Vijay Singh 
I believe that's his name, a tennis pro, is Bond's ally and is batting people away with a tennis racket. And yep. it actually makes tennis ball sound effects when he hits them away. He he plays the Bond theme on a recorder to make these the snakes come out of the basket. And the thing that I don't think he gets taught. He a tiger to sit. Yeah, yeah. And he does the stupid Tarzan yell through the bushes. It's it's awful, and the part that I don't think gets talked about enough as being something that takes you completely out of the movie is there's this final big fight scene between these two rival gangs essentially, and one of them is Octopussy's menagerie of of uh, women who she's hot, rescued, hot, incredibly hot women, of incredibly hot women, all wearing these weird red jumpsuits. They look like they, they got the greatest American heroes costume from that terrible eighties sitcom. And they're all, okay, slow down, slow down. (laughs) There's a lot to enjoy in that series. (laughs) Okay. My apologies. That divisive (laughs) eighties sitcom. It's, it's absurd. It's so such a, like there's, there's maybe the, the, trace elements of a decent movie there but they're so buried under gags and jokes that it's it ruins the whole thing man i dislike that movie Maude adams is great as octopussy and and i wish she'd just been made the villain of the movie because she's she there should have been a woman villain by this point and i've i've i think i've said my piece there's not much more i could say about it i i will say that i think on uh on the whole, John Glenn is the worst Bond director and should not have been allowed to... to he, he directed every Bond film of the 80s, I believe. And and that's too many Bond films for one man to handle. Uh, especially one there of this quality. But please, Kinman, what is your defense of Octopussy? Well, okay, so so in, in your defense, Graham, I have no defense of Octopussy. Um... Octopussy would be my, my number six. Um, I've always disliked that film. Um, I think the way it treats, uh, from a from a cultural sensitivity standpoint, it's atrocious. Um, the moment where Roger Moore throws up rupees and and all the the poor people rush in, yeah, um, that stops the villains. Um, it's awful. Um, you know, I mean. I've got nothing against Louis Jourdain, but, um, you know, the, the whole, uh, uh, eye eating scene is, is egregious. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll certainly, I'll certainly cop the idea that, you know, when that came out, what, 86, um, uh, you know, Christina Wayborn is a, is a extraordinarily attractive person and and i you know i mean there's there's things about that film that that are that are good um the 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 opening flight sequence is really terrific uh aside from the obvious sexist uh connotations of the the south american colonel looking down at the attractive girl with her skirt hiked up uh right you know, there there are a lot there are a lot of things. You know, but then again, you got Stephen Burkhoff, who's a great a great Bond villain, completely wasted in that film. Um, yeah, because it's like two different plots happening at once that yeah. that are so hard to follow because yeah. they barely connect. 
and yet, you know, and then you got sort of, you know, uh, Bond is avenging the death of 006, who was killed by twins. Um, you know, so there's just those moments of, you know, hey, wouldn't this be cool? And yet it's not cool. It's just not, um, it doesn't work uh, thematically. It doesn't work uh, narratively. It feels very um, sensational. You know, yeah. Um, so really, you, you hate it too, just not as much as your other five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I really do hate it. You really, I really do hate it. <laughs> I think Octopus is a terrible film, but it's not as bad as Diamonds Are Forever. All right. Well, uh, we are going to have to disagree on that. Uh, and <laughs> no, actually, <laughs> we don't because it is wrong. It would definitely not be anywhere near my top five, but I do have a soft spot for it. So please tell us. Not near your top five? (laughs) (laughs) Really? Yeah, yeah. It would be a mid-level movie for (laughs) me, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, please. Defend away. No, no, first, first, you do your criticism of it. Tell us why it's right. the worst Bond movie. Uh, here we have sort of classic uh, Sean Connery phoning it in. Um, you know, he got dragged back by the producers. Um, he, you know, he established, he used uh, his initial um, uh, money uh, agreement to, to establish the, the educational fund in Scotland. But he also had points, which went straight to the Bank of Connery. Um, so you've got you've got Sean really phoning it in, number one. And then now, don't get me wrong, I love Charles Gray. I love Charles Gray. He's great in You Only Live Twice. He's amazing in Rocky Horror. Um, but to have you know, then you then you got him sort of playing a camp Blofeld. Um, doesn't make me happy. Um, and, and I'm also going to point out, <clears throat> and this is a, this is a personal bias. So this is when Tom Mankiewicz first entered the sort of bond universe and wrote the script and, you know, and Mankiewicz, um, also co-wrote, uh, Live and Let Die and Golden. And I'm not sure I think he got turfed for uh, for Spy. I think he did some like uncredited rewrites here and there, but yeah, those are the the big ones that yeah. he did. Yeah, but you know, and I mean, you know, Mankiewicz is a is a good writer, but he's not a Bond writer. Um, and there's some really egregious moments in everything that Mankiewicz wrote, as far as I'm concerned, personal opinion. Um, that everything that Mankiewicz wrote for the for the Bond series, but you really see it in Diamonds Are Forever, where um, uh, you know, and and to your point, Graham, you know that sort of the the misogyny, the the um, the really questionable um, action moments, treatment of women ro- moments, like by this point we're in 1971. And you still got um, Jill St. John hiding the cassette tape. Oh yeah, yeah, in her bikini bottom, like just everything about everything about diamonds is is awful. You've got a really, really horrible um, 
So, so let, let's step back for a minute. So part of the, part of the bond canon for better, for worse has been the, they've always made the bond villain somehow deficient, right? You've got, um, uh, the, the, the fellow in, in Thunderball that, that who does not sleep with women and that, that Connery skewers into the tree. Um, you've got that, those uh, whose, whose name escapes me right now, but you've got those moments where somehow they, they vilify more than they need to vilify. And the whole Winton kid moment in, um, in diamonds is really kind of upsetting and not just in a modern context. Um, it's even upsetting in a 71 context. Um, and, and you know, I, again, I love Charles Gray. He's a terrible Blofeld. Yeah, um, no doubt. Yeah. Um, and then inserting Jimmy Dean, the Sausage King, <laughs> as Willard White. Um, Willard White. Yeah, it's, it's just, it, it, like, everything about Diamonds is, it's such a good idea. Um, you know, yeah, a couple of good moments with the, with the, the, the okay. So just to be clear, the Mustang Mach 1, um, interesting car, lots of good history there, frankly, a terrible car. And then <clears throat> that's Bond's car for the, for the film. Big mistake. Um, the big stunt of, of going, you know, on two wheels. Okay, fair enough. Better done in the Dalton series uh, where there's a, a goddamn tanker truck. Um, there's really nothing good about diamonds and I, I recognize that I'm not making a really strong case here, but I just, I can't find anything good about diamonds to justify quite frankly, its existence. All right. Well, my, uh, my defense of it, I, I have a soft spot for some of the w weird bond movies and, and I count this as one of them and, uh, live and let die as, as uh, another one of them. And it, for this one, the the Winton kid stuff, the the fact that they, it's barely veiled that they're a, a gay couple, and certainly the first, it's not even barely veiled. Yeah, it's fair. They they never make it explicit, but they they well, you they, don't see the two of them naked together, but it's pretty obvious <laughs> what they are together. Yeah, yeah, it's it's 1971. There's a, only so far that they can go with it, but they're so weirdly cast. It's um, it's Crispin Glover's father, Bruce Glover, and a a jazz what is he a saxophonist or clarinetist or something? Yeah, yeah. and it, so it's a, it's a weird casting choice, and so I'm just fascinated watching them whenever they're on screen. And I know it's not a positive portrayal of LGBTQ people. I know it's not. Uh, uh, sensitive to them, but it is a portrayal of some sort, which is something. And, and they're they're competent at their jobs for the most part until the very yeah, end. But again, like the problem I have is that it's 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 that it's that skew, right? Yeah. So so whenever you got a Bond villain, they've got a lazy eye. Yeah, metal or teeth they, or webbed they fingers. Sleep with the same sex, or yeah. they like it's it's really. It's really, it's lazy and quite frankly, shitty filmmaking. Yeah, um, I will grant you that. I find their performances interesting enough that I, I'm fascinated when I see them and, and like watching it divorced from 
the politics of it, which are understandably bad. It's just such a fascinating portrayal that I don't think was like, like seeing gay people on screen was not common in 1971, right? Like that's, they would have been one of a handful by that point. Uh, but the, the, my frustration with it is that they're played for, they're played for laughs. Yeah. Um, you're meant to, they're meant to be sort of creepy. Yeah. And, and, and okay. To your point, I mean, I guess maybe we, we talk about the, the misogyny of the, of the early films and we're kind of willing to let it go because it was the sixties. Right. And, and part of me looks at, at diamonds and goes, you know what? It's 71, you know, get with the program. Um, and, and I recognize that they can't get with the program. I, I understand that. Um, you know, so, they, so they've got to sort of pervert, if you will, the, 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 the two killers. And then that final scene um, in diamonds where uh, they brought the, the bomb in the cake yeah and and connery you know lifts uh you know lifts the cake lifts the bomb really hard between uh bruce glover's legs and he does the yeah and it's hard yeah it's not it's not a positive portrayal in any sense you're right but beyond that my problem with diamonds is diamonds feels to me like a couple of producers in a studio desperate to keep the the franchise going, um, and so they 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 supplicated themselves and and brought Connery back for whatever it would take, um, you know, and they made the deal with that particular devil, and then had a a crap script, um, a great a great like nowhere to lie. I love Shirley Bassey. And I love that theme song. And John Barry does great work on the score. Um, but it's a, just such a terrible movie on on every level. Sort of, sort of cinematically, thematically, narratively, and from a social context point of view. There's yeah. nothing there's nothing that 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 makes that movie good. From a social context, my the last point I'll make is that uh, Tiffany Case, Jill St. John's character, is really good up until the end. I think she's she's a great woman who holds her own. She's she's an independent operator. She's a trusted member of this criminal organization, and she's great up until she becomes a damsel in distress at the end of the movie. Yeah, like we said at the beginning, twenty five movies. There's got to be a few that. Uh... You know, you're, you're good to get an octopusy for, for every couple of, well, I'm not going to make you guys argue over your favorites. <laughs> well, I look forward to the, to the top five when we can do that. All right, Kidman, thanks for joining us again. It is always a blast to have you on here. Uh, it's been a real pleasure, gentlemen. Thanks so much for having me back. Absolutely. And while we're giving out thanks, I would also want to send some special thanks to Oliver Wickham, uh, the guy behind our theme song. He is a musical producer of note. Uh, check him out on Spotify. He's got a lot of great stuff out there. And uh, also want to say special thanks to you, uh, you in the audience, you in the community, even you who only really pay attention to us to keep you busy on your morning jog. Uh, it's because of you folks that uh, 
that we get to do this. And when we do get your feedback, it helps us zoom in. I know a lot of folks have said that they really enjoy our Bond-centric episodes, and that's uh, that's why we're here. Um, so if you had questions, comments, concerns, criticisms, or other Bond movies that you, you know, were so bad you can't believe they weren't on our list, we'd love to hear about it. Graham, how can they get that to us? Please email us at geektop5 at gmail.com. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash geektop5. And we're on Twitter at geektop5. You can also post on our episodes on our website, geektop5.com. And please feel free to rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice. Those ratings and reviews, actually, they really help us out a lot. They go a lot towards metrics and for just being able to show other folks that, you know, we have your attention. So please focus on those. Um, 25 Bond movies, 26 in a couple of months, fingers crossed. Plenty of stuff there to keep you busy if you haven't seen them all. Uh, that should fill the time until we get a chance to do this again. Until then, I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And this has been Geek Top 5. We'll talk to you again next week.